So, you know, I like to eat. Anybody else here? Yeah? I'm a fan of food. But I will admit that what constitutes a meal can get kind of weird in my life. Maybe this is true for you, too. I don't do this when I'm making dinner for me and my husband or other people, but when I'm eating alone, when it's just me and I'm standing there in front of the pantry, my hand on the door, I'm staring at the things on the shelf, trying to decide what I can put together and reasonably call dinner, well, in that moment, honestly, there are no rules. So a spoonful of peanut butter for an appetizer? Sounds good to me. Toast as an entree? Yeah, let's do that. Why did I not put the peanut butter on the toast? Don't ask these kinds of questions. Oh, wait, there's a hard-boiled egg in the fridge. I'll go get that, and I see there are grapes still in the fruit drawer. How about I eat some of those? Want to be balanced here? And then let's round it out with some jelly beans. Good work. Good dinner. Now, that may be an imaginary scenario, or it may have happened this week. Uh, all right, that kind of meal, that's all about minimal effort, right? How can I get full without having to work very hard? But there is another kind of meal, a meal that I hope you have had also, in which is the exact opposite of that standing in front of the pantry dinner. Picture a meal you've had where the table was overflowing with food. Whoever was hosting decided it didn't matter how much the meal cost. The kind of meal where you order a round of appetizers, too many for the whole table. And then it's accompanied by plenty of bottles of wine and some, or some cocktails. Next, everyone orders a delicious entree that delights you with every bite. Then the host asks for the, dinner, the, the dessert menu, and you are already so full, but you still get that huge piece of chocolate cake, and you eat it until you can't stand to put another forkful in your mouth. There is a unique kind of joy that comes from indulging in delicious food, rich food, with people you really like, on a night when no one is in a hurry and the price doesn't matter. Guys, this is what the kingdom of God is like. Last week, we were talking about the sacraments in our confirmation class, and I talked about Holy Communion, how it comes from the Last Supper, but also how over and over again in the Bible, uh, we read scriptures about God giving a great feast as a sign of restoration. And while Jesus was in his ministry in Galilee, he went all over the place having dinner with people. And one of the students said, didn't Jesus like to party? And I said, yes! He was called a glutton and a drunkard. And nobody gets called that unless you know how to have a good time. And then another student said, God is a foodie. And I said, yes, exactly this. God is a foodie. God loves to throw a big old party no matter what the cost. So we've been spending the weeks of Lent here at St. Paul's, learning from, reflecting on some of the parables of Jesus. Jesus, he was a really good storyteller. A key way that he taught was through stories, and we call these stories parables, and they don't always have a straightforward meaning. They're meant to make us think and make us talk, make us have conversation, maybe even argue about what is God, God is up to in the world. So today, what I brought was an Easter parable from Jesus. Now, you may not realize at first read that it is an Easter parable, but that is what it is. It's a story that shows us the goodness of the resurrection. So Jesus said, this wealthy man, he gave a dinner banquet. As an aside, I think in the ancient world where people always worried about having enough to eat, you know, starvation was a constant threat for them, that this story probably hit home in a way even deeper than it does for us. 
So he gave a dinner banquet. He invited these important guests. Everything was ready. The party was set. The DJ was playing great music. The wine was flowing. The aides went to round up the guests. And you've heard already what happened. The people who were invited couldn't come. Now pay attention. They had some pretty good excuses. One said, I've just done this real estate transaction. I've got a lot of wrapped up in it. I've got to go to California to inspect the property. Another one, he said, I've got this herd of cattle that I just bought, and it expands my holdings to double the size. I've got to go out to western Nebraska and check them out. And then a third said, listen, I have just gotten married. I already have the tickets to Cozumel for my honeymoon. i got to go. None of these are terrible excuses. Right? They're all examples of people living important and busy lives that just happen to conflict with the party. No one turned down the party because they had evil in their heart or they were extra sinful. They were just busy. They were also very polite. Did you notice that? Please have me excused, they said. They just thought they had more important things to do. So all the previous guests had last-minute regrets. So this man had a giant party and no one to come. He wanted there to be guests. How can we blame him? Have you ever thrown a party and had no one come? That's a terrible feeling. So he sent his aides out into the streets to find whoever could come. People who had nothing better to do than just loiter around in the city in the middle of the afternoon. You can imagine what kind of people these people must have been. People with no jobs. People too sick, too tired, too traumatized to work. Maybe they were people with no houses. Maybe they were people who made their living doing illegal things, so they had really flexible schedules. <laughs> After all those people had been brought into the banquet hall, there was still room. So he sent the aides out for even more people. This time, go outside the city limits, he said. So they just started driving down the road, asking anybody they saw to jump into the car and come to the banquet. They didn't care if they were illegal immigrants or felons out on parole or some of those old guys that go drink coffee at the gas station because they have nothing better to do. They brought them all into the banquet. The room was so full of these nobodies and misfits and outcasts. There wasn't room for a single person who was first invited to come and eat, and then they had a great party. This is what the kingdom of God is like. God is intent on throwing a really big party because God likes abundance. Our God is not a stingy God. God likes to lavish us with good things, and when God rules the world fully, when the fullness of God's power and God's reign have come, it's going to be like the best party that we have ever attended. God is intent on throwing a really big party, and nothing is going to get in God's way. Now, sometimes, sometimes for us, it may look like the party's on rocky ground. It may look like the party's going to fail, like something big or something hard is going to get in the way, but God will not be stopped. And we know this because of this story that Jesus told us about the party, but we know it even more so because of what Jesus did. Jesus, he was so set on making God's party come to earth. That's what he did in his teaching and his preaching and his healing. His whole ministry was about trying to make God's party a reality on earth, and some people tried to stop him. Right? You know the story. There were people who were not interested in God's kind of party because God's kind of party threatened their power. It threatened their money. It threatened their pride. They got scared. They got angry. And they came after Jesus. They wanted him stopped. They arrested him. They beat him. They pronounced him guilty. They hung him on a cross to die. And he did die. And he was buried in a tomb. 
And then the Gospel of Matthew tells us, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guard shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He's been raised, as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly, tell the disciples, he's been raised from the dead and indeed is going ahead of you to Galilee, and there you will see him. This is my message for you. So the women, they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples, and suddenly Jesus met them and said to them, greetings. He's so cool. Greetings, he says. And they came to him, and they took a hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Jesus, raised from the dead. Death didn't stop him. All the suffering, all the pain, the trial of the world did not stop him. Jesus came to show us God's giant party of love and joy and peace. And God was so absolutely intent on the party happening that God pulled out all the stops and resurrected Jesus from the dead. God could not be stopped. God will not be stopped. God is so intent on throwing a party that is full of life and joy. Nothing is going to get in the way. God's party will happen. Actually, it is happening. And you are invited. You're invited. Just like the guests in the parable, though, you have to choose to come to the party. You don't just get to the party automatically. Now, your invitation is automatic. Let's be clear about that. Everybody has an invitation to God's party with your exact name on it. I have an invitation. You do, too. God doesn't bar the door to anyone, but you have to choose to come. You have to choose to participate, which means which means you might have to set something else aside in order to come to the party. For me, this is, this is such a powerful part of the story Jesus tells, right? He's not casting out sinners in his parable. He's pointing out that being distracted can exclude us from the party of God as easily as anything else. I remember once I was at a book club meeting, and we had read this book by Mary Roach. It's called Stiff. The Curious Life of Human Cadavers, which sounds awful, I know, but really, it's a great book. It's a great book. Well, not unexpectedly, as we were talking about this book about corpses, our book club meeting turned toward a conversation about what happens after you die. This was not a church book club. It was just a gathering of friends, some of whom I knew well, but not everyone. One woman, whom I did not know well, said something like, well... I just figure I try to be a good person, live my life, do my thing, and in the end, God will see that and everything will be fine. And in my head, I was like, um, not exactly. And then I was caught, sitting there, cross-legged on the floor of a friend's living room carpet, looking over at the couch where this woman was sitting, and I asked myself, do I get all pastory here in the middle of book club? And tell this woman that just trying to be a good person, whatever that means, is not really what God is going for. I did not get all pastory, okay? I just, 
I just let it go. But I want to tell you this morning that the point of God throwing the party is not for us to ignore the invitation our whole lives and stay busy doing other things and just cross our fingers that it's all going to work out in the end. God has sent us an invitation to the party because God wants us to come to the party. God invites us into a life of joy, hope, love, peace, purpose right now. God wants us to live lives that matter right now. And the way God does that is by inviting us to faith in Jesus. By inviting us to sit at the table with Jesus, to learn from him, to hang out with him, to party with him now. And here's the other thing about the party. God wants the table so full, God invites everyone, and I mean everyone. It's good news for you and me because it means there's nothing that we can do to lose our invitation. It's there. We don't have to qualify in some way. Don't have to earn it. Don't have to have a certain salary or show up with the right clothes. We just get to come because God loves us. But it also means that everybody else is invited too. And I mean everybody else. Like everybody else. Including that person who voted for a different presidential candidate than you did. That person you know who watches MSNBC gets to come to the party. And so does the person you know who watches Fox News. The person who cut you off in traffic and that coworker who is so annoying, they get to come to the party. The socially awkward get to come and the ones who are habitually late to everything, even they get to come to the party. The ones who struggle with mental illness and the poor, they get to come to the party. The ones wrestling with addiction, the ones with no address, they get to come to the party. Anybody who's been scared and hurt and pushed aside, all of them get to come to the party. And because there's no priority seating at God's table, you are likely going to be seated next to somebody who's not at all like you. And God wants you to make friends. The question for us this Easter morning is simply, are we so distracted that we have ignored God's invitation to the resurrection party? Now those first disciples, they couldn't miss it. They had an actual empty tomb to go and see. But we don't have a sign of God's power quite that tangible. Instead, what God has given us for Easter is more like a dinner invitation that comes in the mail. And if we go to the feast, we will see a resurrection party better than anything else in the world. But we can just as easily turn aside from it and decide to do other things. The resurrected Christ does not force us, doesn't demand that we show up. He simply sits at the table and says gently, won't you come? Thanks be to God. Amen.